Hi Dave, um, me again. I do actually have a question. Uh, I was wondering if you'd listen to um, James's recent episode of those fecking books where he discussed issues he had with running Numenera, uh, problems around trying to convey to the players uh, what elements would be mundane to the characters and what elements of the world were kind of more bizarre and alien. Um, he seemed to uh, find that a real stumbling block. I wonder what your feelings were about that. Cheers. Hi everyone, it's Dave. Thanks very much, Spencer, for your comments and for the suggestion to talk a bit more about Numenera. Uh, talk, uh, listen to James's episode. He discusses Numenera very briefly, but, but I'm glad to have the excuse, really, to talk a little bit more about that system. Uh, I don't think I'm going to do a review as such today. More sort of my thoughts um, for people thinking about GMing it or, or just really to share my experiences of, of GMing Numenera. That's a game I have really enjoyed running. I uh, managed to get a fairly regular session of Numenera going which I, which I think um, we all enjoyed for quite a long time. It wasn't without its wrinkles um, and so I've got some, some experience of, of the kinds of issues that come up. Yeah I think I might have something vaguely interesting to say about that but before that um, here's a message from Arlen, really demonstrating many of the things which are just wonderful about Anchor. Hey Dave, Arlen Walker. Listen, I don't think you should be worried about the One Ring random encounters. Um, most of the hazards that occur on travel events are just basically make another check with some specific penalty for failure. It's um, pretty straightforward, and I say that even... In our most recent game of the One Ring, I had to improvise a combat encounter, which is if you roll an eye on the the stakes, basically, then it's improvised combat encounter, which um, turned out to, to really work well as emergent narrative fitting in with the main story. It was really cool the way it worked out. Um, not to bore you with all the sundry details, but our resident ranger basically scared off a bunch of the orcs by declaring his lineage and um, that sort of tied into Sauron gaining attention, um, trying to to watch the party and sort of inflict his will on them. Anyway, it worked really well. Um, I don't think you should be worried about it. It, I think, I think, I mean, you, I'm sure if you've listened to my podcast, you know that I think that game is really well designed. I'll also say we have been streaming the One Ring game on the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel, Kevin Madison's channel. So if you um, want to see what it actually plays like, you should check that out. And I could totally fit in another PC and we play at a time. We play um, what is Saturday afternoon for me, which ends up being Saturday Saturday night for Colin Green, partly so that Colin can play with us. Um, and I know you're UK time, so if you, I don't know if you play online games with people at all, um, but if you want to, if you want to get into it, hit me up and join my One Ring game. It'd be great. Thanks, Arlen. What can I say other than that I'm in?
and and if that isn't just a wonderful example of of anchor delivering all on all of the sort of community promise i don't know what is so thanks very much arlen for the invite looking forward to getting to understand a little bit more about how the one ring works and to have uh, a bit of fun with some other legendary anchorites i say other with some not assuming that i'm one <laughs> with some legendary anchorites um yeah just really looking i haven't done very much online gaming either so i'm looking forward to um seeing how that works hoping all my kit holds up uh, we'll have to try some of that out beforehand i think but, but anyway yes cheers arlen looking forward to it right then numenera so yeah as i say uh this is a game uh I've managed to play with a regular group for some time, had a lot of fun running it. Part of the appeal to me, or, or how it really grabbed hold of me, was when I read the GM's guidance on prepping sessions. And really the guidance is any more than a, any more than a sort of page or two of prep, A4 page or two of prep, I try and keep my prep on one page for Numenera, you know, it's going to give you diminishing returns. And that is because the system is designed in such a way that you have this kind of random injection of transient player abilities. I mentioned on my last podcast, the core concept of the game is that it's built around this random table. Really, it's two random tables, your ciphers and your artifacts. I think the ciphers is, is more important that that's randomised. Um, and you really don't know what kind of potentially game-changing abilities are going to turn up in the player's hands so you can't plan for it and furthermore you shouldn't plan for it and I just find that really appealing you know right there at the core of the system is uh, an emergent experience so the guidance on the prep is that you you can sketch out perhaps the way that you think the scenario might go suggest you do that um, you sketch out a nice list of names. I really like that because names are the hardest thing to come up with on the fly. Um, it might be that you've got some creatures in mind, but the wonderful thing about creatures is that you can just give them a level and you're good to go. You just assign them a number from one to 10 um, and you're good to go. But if you've got a couple of extra interesting features of creatures, you could probably decide that in advance. One thing I like to do, I'll talk more about intrusions later, but one thing I like to do if I think a creature is turning out a big play, a bit plain, is that I'll give it an extra ability as an intrusion. So you can actually, you can actually um, ratchet up your monster threat on the fly. Um, you know, oh, here's an interesting idea, really. The monster should have, should have had that. We'll just develop it on the spot and offer the relevant character, the first character, the first player who's being affected by it, offer them the XP. Of course, they can buy it off. Um, but even that is an interesting decision. You know, if they don't want the monster to be ratcheted up at this point, they're, co they're paying XP. You've actually given them a meaningful decision to make in play. And the other part of your session prep, of course, is just your list of cool or weird things that might happen. They may come up in play. You might not have even really worked out exactly how they might fit into the area or the, uh, the, the sort of rough idea of how events are going to progress that you've got. But it may well be that the ideal time presents itself. And, you know, that for, a, for, for someone who is, on the one hand, really quite pressured in terms of prep time, but on the other hand, really enjoys that emergent gaming experience, that is what sold Numenera to me. And, and, and that, that central idea that really this is a game built around that random, random distribution of ciphers, that random table, I think 
is part of what you've got to hang on to in Numenera planning. There are other bits of maybe the game is intended. I'm not sure I really play the game as intended. Do you ever know? I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't played in one of Monte Cook's games. Um, but I, but I, I, I've, I've got a version of it that is coherent for me and that really, that really works. So that's the that's the first thing. Um, you, you obviously are. You know, it's quite legitimate for you to to decide on your ciphers that you're going to give out ahead of time. I I sometimes do that with artifacts. It seems like quite often an artifact fits the scenario, or I might want to create an artifact that fits the scenario. Um, But I really try and resist stacking up my ciphers ahead of time. I mentioned it in my last podcast. One of the problems with that is that you you naturally you can't kind of avoid as a gm once you start deciding what ciphers are going to turn up you can't avoid thinking of scenarios in terms of problems whose solution is suited to the possession by the players of particular ciphers um and uh, and i think the numenera experience really wants to resist that you really want to just kind of <laughs> you know just stay open to the possibility that the characters are going to come up come up with astonishingly interesting things that they might want to do with any kind of weird objects that you put out there and it's really really quite creative um ways of of applying some of the ciphers which whose 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 use is described a little bit more loosely and that really is you know as a gm that really is the kind of thing you want to run with that in the game um i do like to invent my own ciphers uh, but if I invent my own ciphers, what I'm doing really is I'm building up my own cipher list. Uh, and when it comes to randomly determined ciphers, I might roll an extra die beforehand, maybe a d20 or something like that, and, and decide on a, certain, on a certain outcome that I'm going to roll from my cipher list rather than from the game cipher list. So although I'm, I'm injecting in my own ciphers, um, I'm, not, you know, I'm not assigning them to particular points in the scenarios, which I really try and, try and resist. As I say, artifacts, I think, is quite fun also to make up the artifacts. One of the supplements that I really enjoy, you know, most of the supplements in Numenera, I've read them, they've given me lots of interesting ideas, but I don't really go back to them. I don't really run the pre-gen adventures. Um, But one of the supplements which I think is really valuable uh, is the technology compendium which just converts that one core cipher table into a a whole bunch of cipher tables. There are just loads more ciphers. Um, So for me, that's just even more surprise, (laughs) even more randomness, loads more ciphers, loads more artifacts. Um, And if you're playing the newer version of Numenera, the changes that have been made are are almost entirely trivial. And, and, you know, any cipher from any of the other other supplements... Uh, it's quite usable. There's really no no problems there. Really, really, apart from clarifying some elements of the rules, which I th- which I think we'd kind of worked out. Uh, in any case, um, pretty much the only change in Numenera discovery uh, is the is the fixing of the armor rules to 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 correspond with the armor rules from the from the cipher system. Um, it just makes armor much less fiddly than it was in the previous iteration of Numenera. But apart from that, there's there's nothing really there that you would notice. Maybe some of the class, um, the class abilities are sketched out a bit differently. But it, but as I said in my previous podcast, all of that crunch, all of that crunch, I just leave over to my players. Once you've got your players trained up, um, they can worry about all of that stuff and bring it into play as and when. I might say some more about that, but I think that's really important uh, in Numenera that you can hand over. It's got loads of crunch, but you can hand it all over to the players. Um, 
One of the good things about that crunch is that there are meaningful, there is meaningful character progression. There are meaningful and valuable character abilities, which means that players like their XP. Uh, and that means the intrusion system is a real sort of core driver of the game. I really enjoy the intrusion system. Yeah, as a GM, sometimes you make those calls that you know the players aren't going to like. Someone's going to feel singled out. <laughs> and, you know, in Numenera, you make that call and then you offer them, or, or just before you make that call, you offer them the XP. This is what I really like. You offer them those two XP. My players virtually never, in fact, they did, they never turned down XP. They would always take the XP. But they knew when you're offering that XP that they did have the opportunity of alleviating the nasty situation by sort of buying it off. But my players never did because they really wanted that XP. Um, one, one thing that does mean is you can't do... In other games, I used to like uh, having a milestone XP system. Oh, it doesn't matter if you didn't turn up, I mean, if you couldn't make it or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm levelling everybody up at the same time on a milestone system. If you try and do that in Numenera, you break part of the dynamics of how the, the sessions work. You, you cut through one of the mechanics. You can't do that. It, it matters um, when... when players spend XP to, to buy off intrusions and when they take XP for intrusions and if you, if you do milestone advancement you're kind of breaking that. That does, that does mean there's a bit of a problem if players miss a session they're missing the opportunity to advance but on the other hand as I've said in other ways with the ciphers, with the artifacts with the, with the sheer creativity of what can happen in a scenario um, Numenera is so kind of swingy that really Characters will get their chance to shine at particular times if they've got the right cipher. It doesn't matter actually if they're if they're operating a level behind um, the other players. You know, it's, it's going to iron out eventually. And as I say, everybody gets their chance to shine just by virtue of coming up with a good idea or having the right cipher. So I don't worry too much about that. But I really think you can't ride roughshod over the XP system because it's because it's absolutely central. Now Spencer's question was about the weird. Um, and I'm not sure, listening to James, I'm not sure I've got all of this question. I think there are a couple of different ways I could, I could interpret what, um, what James's issue was. But, but I, have, I think I have some related thoughts. Um, one of them is there are, some, there are some sort of half helpful rules in the Numenera rule books, just about sort of the language that you use. I think at one point there's a discussion that says, you know, characters are going to be quite familiar with zippers or vacuum sealed plastic bags but they won't have seen cars or guns and you know whilst I take the point that you don't want to describe a car as a car or a gun as a gun and in fact if you've if you've if you've thought of a technological entity that you're inclined to describe as a car or a gun then then really you're not kind of thinking in in the nine billion years in the future um, weird technology way that Numenera is intending and so I kind of get that. But on the other hand, it seems quite arbitrary that you would talk about zippers and not guns or, you know, whatever it is, vacuums or plastic bags and not, and not um, cars. Um, but, but I don't tend to sweat that very much. I think if you've got players who are understanding the concept of what you're trying to do, then, then, then you'll develop a language together. You know, that they will offer um, ways of estranging otherwise familiar items with their own kind of idiosyncratic ways of, of presenting things. 
Um, so yeah, that's on the sort of more trivial side, but I don't think that that's the real concern. I think the real concern is a concern, something that I struggled with, is how do, how, how do you keep... How do you keep the world weird? How do you keep the play experience one of constant mystery over time? And this is one I, I, I did struggle with for a bit, and I've struggled with in, in other games. Um, and I, I, and I, I came to a few realisations which I think would, will be useful. I mean, one is, I think, whilst you want to have a Numenera campaign, you actually want to resist world building and that's a strange thing to say given that the core Numenera book well let's I'll talk about discovery and destiny in a, in, in a minute but but you know the core Numenera book let's think about discovery or the earlier iteration really has most of the crunch in there is players it's class abilities it's other things they're not called classes but you know what I mean um, it's the various things that the players can worry about on their character sheets there's quite a lot of that as concerns GM rules, there's GM guidance, but as concerns GM rules, there's nothing you couldn't fit on a double-page spread. Um, it really is, for the GM, very, very simple to run. So the rest of the book is like 200 pages of fluff. So it's very strange that I would say avoid world be- building when the core book is so fluff-heavy. Beautiful art, detailed descriptions of settlement after settlement after settlement, faction after faction after faction. But I really think if you're going to keep the mystery going in Numenera, that's what you should do. And that's why I think Numenera is such a groundbreaking um, and and challenging and and different kind of game because although you've got all that fluff really if you want to keep the mystery going you've got to avoid world building what do i what do i mean by that i genuinely read the fluff in those books i get all the modules i read all of that fluff um, mine it for inspiration and then ignore it so my ninth world geographically and in terms of the factions bears very little resemblance to the one that is described in in the books and I don't lose any sleep over that as I say it seems like you know if if they've gone to all the trouble of building all of this all of this world it might seem that the intended players that you use it but I really think you can do without it Um, and the reason why I think that is because if you want to keep the mystery going in Numenera what you've really got to come up with is uh, an episodic game and that's the other thing while you want to have a campaign where the characters develop their interactions with each other develop you know the the ways that they think about life the universe and everything move on um you you want to avoid tying the characters too much to a to a particular set of interests a particular faction a particular group um so I like to think of Numenera as an episodic game, as I say, a, a, you know, a bit like the classic Star Trek type game. Um, so you've got your crew, that's your players, there's a, there's a developing campaign, there's a developing series in that the characters develop over time, their interactions with each other develop over time, their philosophies and the way they, they relate to um, other beings in the broadest sense develops over time. But as we know, each episode is a different world. What that means in Star Trek is that, you know, you can keep the mystery going all the time. It's a new world. They haven't been there before, so everything's mysterious. And that would be my, that would be my guidance for, for designing Numenera sessions. Everything is mysterious. It's a, it's a new location or a new settlement or a new place, and everything's mysterious. By that, it doesn't have to be 
pages and pages of mysterious but if you're going to introduce an npc give them a weird element you know rather than just the village leader it's the village leader who has a whole bunch of snakes coming out of his mouth and he speaks through the snakes you know sufficiently weird um or you know if the if the villagers are meeting around some kind of um you know, if they meet in some kind of council chamber and they've got an ancient table round which they make their decisions, then have the table sort of anchored in space. Uh, this, is, this is something I really enjoy. So it's not hanging anywhere. It's not even, um, you know, floating or held up by any obvious force. It is just literally anchored in space and won't, <laughs> won't be moving <laughs> whatever anybody wants to do. That's great. Um, of course... In Numenera, we don't have to explain any of those things. And this is another thing. When I, when I say avoid, avoid world building, avoid all of that advice we used to have about uh, meaningful or coherent dungeon ecologies. Yeah? Written into Numenera is that although the players can kind of get ciphers to work in some way or another, and they've got these various powers that draw on the strange technological um, elements that are in operation, it's all completely mysterious to them. Yeah, that's not going to stop your players trying to come up with explanations, perhaps, of, of, of what technology is going on here. Um, but I think what it, what it means is you've got to really strongly resist actually explaining, you know, what kind of... They're, they're exploring this installation, this ancient installation that nobody's been in for hundreds of years. Just put weird things in. Don't worry about what it was used for. Um, just put the weird things in um, yeah so avoid world building what what this means is um, I, I want my scenarios to be self-contained yeah I want to resist uh, a session running over a couple of nights or three nights and what I definitely want is I want to avoid having the players camp in a particular place get to know people for too long now other people play the game differently but but what it means for me when players do that is that suddenly my weirdness my mysteries are getting tamed by familiarity so if i want to keep the weirdness or the mystery going much easier to to bring them to a new place um, or or introduce them to a new mystery resolve it within the session you know this doesn't even mean actually geographically dropping them down in different places but if i've got a mystery let's resolve it in the session and then in the session move on to a new one this suits my style of play anyway because i like i like to have a good meaty session i like three to four hours of play really um, but if i'm going to do that i want the session to actually end and one thing i found um made Numenera drag for, for me, even if not for the players, was when, you know, was when we were turning up at the new session and I had to sort of recap the mystery, recap the weirdness, um, and reinvest the players in that situation. Much better to, to bring, no, not play forever, not have sessions go on forever, but much better to make sure that a session comes to an end rather than trying to pick up that thread in a later week. Uh, and to really resist, um, even though the book is sort of, dripping with factions that you want to have recurring continually and you see you know as you read it you think of a, a long-term campaign that's going to have those factions as antagonists if the factions turn up great but i really want to resist sort of demystifying the world by having my factions continually present having their motivations need to kind of move into some kind of more coherent and utterly then um ultimately sorry then less mysterious form
that's pretty much my thoughts really or as much as I want to talk about today. I realise a lot of the advice I'm giving here is similar to the advice I give for the kind of old school spirit that I'm looking for in a, in, in a, in a game that I consider to be old school rather than you know, if the characters are going into a dungeon, for me, rather than coming up with a whole explanation for the history of that dungeon, which I then keep secret from my players and enjoy watching them maybe work it out or maybe have them come up with something else, I just save time by simply scattering some mysterious elements through the dungeon. Um, it saves time and the result in play is often much the same. Oh, listening back, one thing I said I would talk about, I haven't yet, is the uh, is in the newer version of Numenera, the 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 two core rulebooks, Discovery and Destiny. It's important I I do cover this because it could be interpreted as undermining some of the things that I've said. Although I don't think it does. I think importantly it it validates what I've said about the particular way that I want to run Numenera. So if you're not familiar with this, the Discovery book in the new version of the Numenera rules pretty much is like the old iteration of the rules. Uh, And then there's a whole extra book, Destiny, which has a whole load of new rules and mechanics for creating your own ciphers, creating your own artifacts, creating your own sort of more major Numenera items. And it's got a, a a collection of new types which are focused on sort of long-term crafting and long-term management of relationships with factions and running settlements long-term. So the Destiny rulebook is all about really all of the things I've said uh, I don't have as part of my Numenera game. And when Montecook writes the introduction to this book, he says, this was always there in the background in Numenera. We didn't get a chance to fit it into the original rules, but I always had in mind that there would be this this other game where the characters would take responsibility for a settlement and, and go out hunting for things which could improve the settlement and look after its interests over time. Um, Q, lots more information about designing settlements, having interesting settlements, more fluff. Um, and perhaps, perhaps that undermines what I've said about, about the way Numenera works. I don't think it does because of how careful Monty Cook Games have been to keep those two rulebooks separate. So the Destiny rulebook, it's, it's really neat how they've done it. The core rules, as I say, are very much the original core rules. There's occasional reference, but not so as you would ever... You know, in, in lots of games where, where it says, this is all you need to play, and then you read throughout this constant reference to all the other supplements, which really you should get if you want to play the experience as designed. You don't get that sense with Discovery and Destiny. I, I, I'm really impressed with how they've kept that separate. And I think that is, that is either because... Monty Cook understands that really there are two ways to play Numenera. There's the way I've described, which does not lend itself to any of those mechanics, and there's another. Or it's because he realises at least that plenty of people are playing it in such a way that these rules wouldn't be. Yeah, no, that, that, is, that is an acknowledgement, really, that there are two ways to play. So I would say that's, that's, that's what Discovery and Destiny, those two books, mean to me, um, that there are, there are the two ways to play. There is a more long-term, world-building game... Um, one thing that does, I think, if you're going to play that game, is you are really handing over to the players a lot more responsibility for maintaining the weird and mysterious elements. If they're not going to do that, then I do think there is a danger that the game will be tamed 
um, as the player's sort of sphere of influence grows and the mysteries of the world are reduced, there's a danger for me that the experience is taken. Anyway, um, people might have different experiences. For me, the Destiny rule book, I've got it on my shelf. I've, I've, I will come back to it for inspiration. But that's not a version of the game or that's not an add-on to the game that I will be indulging in anytime soon. So as usual, I'm really keen to hear people's thoughts on this. Easiest way is to leave me a message via Anchor. Other ways to contact me are in the, uh, the notes, the podcast notes. And I look forward to hearing from you or, or, or speaking again soon. Bye.